This lecture is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Deacon Danny Cahoot. We are still in Ecclesiastes and probably will be for a while. It's just amazing the further along I get, the more I realize how much I really don't know about it. It's kind of wild. But I always like to learn. I learned something this week that I never thought of before in my life until I got to thinking about it. And so I studied it. And tell me if you've ever heard this before. Did you know that, you, have you anybody seen chickens go after food and just, just the savages, they're just, they're just eat, 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 eat. Did you know that a chicken never gets hungry? They never do. Birds, all fowl do not. They have no stomach. They've got what is called a crop, C-R-O-P, that sits on top of their gizzard. And God has placed fowl inside of them, a natural instinct to just fill this crop, not out of hunger, just peck, 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 filling it. And their gizzard automatically, as the body needs their nutrition, digests what's in this crop. They don't feel hunger. So my wife, you know, we got to talking about it. You're letting the chickens go hungry. And I, so I said, well, let me figure this thing out. You can't overfeed them. They will not overfeed. They're just constantly picking and picking and filling this crop up. They have no stomach. And so you can't overfeed them and you can't underfeed them. The crop, is, you can't underfeed them because they'll have to start. They have to have water, but they do not feel hunger. And I did not know that until I studied it. I don't know. Here I'm 63 years old and I thought I knew. I've been raising chickens for 30 years. thought I knew a little bit about them. But that goes for ducks, pigeons, sparrows, all, all fowl. They have no stomach, so they don't feel hunger. They just got a natural instinct to just fill this crop that's in there. They walk around pecking, pecking, pecking. They see, hear the feed bag. <laughs> It's not from because they're hungry, it's their drive to, to fill it. But anyway, that's not part of the lesson. I just, you know, I try to learn something every day of my life. Okay, we are in Ecclesiastes and we're going to start again here in chapter 3 and lead into where we have the lesson this morning. And, uh, Sometimes things in life are just real hard to understand for myself anyway. But Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, it says, To everything, it's a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. And where we've been focusing on for several weeks now is a time to be born and a time to die. And we'll jump on down to Verse 11, and this was the key to the whole book. Well, there's like four keys, but that's one of them. He, God, has made everything beautiful in his time. And he has set the world in our hearts, in their heart, so that no man can find the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. So a storm or a challenge or good times or bad times can come in your life and you may never see the end of the storm because it's God's time. It's His time. He's going to make it beautiful in His time. And, and 
He knows. We don't. This is living by faith. We have to trust no matter what is thrown on our plate, no matter what it is, where we are, what is, that it's his game. It's not ours. We're just part of it. We're just, walk, we're just, we're born, we eat, and we die. And uh, outside of redemption, that's what this book is about. The book of life is, is all of this stuff that we go through, all of this stuff that is handed to us, every single thing from the cradle to the grave means absolutely nothing. Not one thing. Because we're all going to just leave it all behind. And uh, let's see where we left off. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this. We were talking about last week in chapter 5 is how we conduct ourselves in the house of God. And we'll talk a little bit more about how our tongues can control everything in our life. We got on angels a little bit. I'm not going to get on angels, although I do have a separate study. I study about them. You ever thought about what, when it's all over in eternity, way out there, millennium's over and everything, and we are in forever, what is the angels' duty? What are they going to be doing other than worshiping and praising? I mean, their work is done. Our work is done. I'm thinking about what, what's going on with the angels in forever. It's uh, just just thought-provoking to me when I get to thinking about it. But uh, verse 6 of chapter 5, it says, Suffer not. That means don't allow it. Don't allow it. Your mouth to cause your flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands. That means when, when, when something comes in your life, don't question God and say, why did you let that happen? Or when you're in the house of God saying, why did this, why is the preacher doing this? Why is the, why did that member do, when you're in the house of God, this whole chapter here on chapter five is how to keep your foot when you're in the house of God. We all mumble and we all complain outside, but when we come in here, our hearts need to be unified and focused on one thing, another lost soul. And praying for the pastor, praying for the service, praying for things to go on. Don't let your mouth cause confusion in the house of God. I mentioned this the last time. One of the most confusing things to me would be if I was to preach a message and have two people get up over here and one person get up over here and coming in and out of the door slamming and all, and you're sitting there trying to present the gospel. That's that's distracting. I mean, if somebody can't hold it, I mean, I can't, don't want nobody to pee in the pants. But if you're coming to the, in the, into the, to the sanctuary, for somebody that just can't hold the bathroom for an hour, 45 minutes, <laughs> sit in the vestibule, don't disturb the service. That's my opinion. I mean, that's why I'm not a preacher. Because <laughs> I would say, hold on a minute. Do you really have to go to the bathroom right now? <laughs> I don't know how he does it, because I would call him out instantly. <laughs> That's just me. Okay, so we're going to uh, get back on uh, the, the, the tongue here in a little bit, but I'm going to press further along in chapter 6. This is where we're going to spend most of the time today. In uh, chapter 6, verse 1, there is an evil 
which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men, whom God had given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wants nothing for his soul. And all that he desires, yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger. This is vanity. This is emptiness outside of redemption now. And it's an evil disease for somebody to spend their entire life building and filling their barns and, and, and not focusing on others, not focusing on souls. Just build, 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 and boom, die. And then somebody else who hasn't earned it, who hasn't worked, who hasn't labored, just lives in a lap of luxury and they've wasted their entire life building up, never enjoying themselves, never never doing any, never supporting missions, never, I mean, believe it or not, I don't know this, I just know it's an it's a 80-20 rule. 20% of the people do all of the work in anything, even in any, any job you do, 80% do nothing. And so I bring that uh, thought process into the church. I don't know who ties and who don't, but I'm assuming 80% of the people that tend, I'm, I'm not talking about putting a dollar in the plate when it's passed. I'm talking about our regular tithers. They, 10% of their life, because that's what your money is. When we exchange, when we go to work, here I am, give me some money. We exchange our lives for money. And so when we, when God tells us to tithe, He's not telling, He doesn't need our money, but He knows that 10% of our life is going into the ministry. He's allowed us to live and to, to, to work and to, to breathe. So we give him 10% of our life by giving him 10% of our money. And I'm telling you, we would have to build another church if 100% of the church, not just this church, I'm talking about all over, would consistently tithe what they make. I mean, it's... It, it, it blows my mind because there's so many promises and so many rewards from doing it that uh, it's t to me, knowing what I know, I would be scared to death not to because it'll bring us to this next part as we get further down. Don't question God for the cause of something happening. I'm going to get to that because everything is beautiful in his time. If, let's look at that verse. Uh, Verse 10 of chapter 7, and I'm going to bounce back to chapter 6. Say not thou what is the cause for the former days were better than this, for thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. Now what he's saying is, it's a no-brainer. If I'm speeding down the highway, I know I get a ticket. I know the cause of that. With this, with, with this context of what we're, we're going to get back to it, the context of what, the, what's, what Solomon, the wise man, is saying is that when a storm hits you out of nowhere, you're doing everything that you can do. You, you're, 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 you're tithing, you're attending church, you're, you're witnessing when you get... I mean, your life is in tune. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you get hit. You don't sit there... What is you? What are you doing, God? What 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 did I do to cause that? What is the cause of this? We don't do wisely with that because God is making making everything beautiful in this time, and we don't know the beginning to the end. We just gotta live by faith and say, whatever you're doing, Lord, do it. I trust you. So we'll get back to that. Here, here's here's coming to the meat of part of the lesson this morning. Uh, 
Verse 3 of chapter 6. If a man beget a hundred children and live many years so that the days of his years and the soul of, and his soul be not filled with good and also that he have no burial, I say that the untimely birth is better than he. Now we're going to cover quite a bit about that because the context of where that's coming from, I think one of the most... Uh, what every single born-again Christian ought to do before they die. One of the most important things, it needs to be planned down saying, I want the gospel preached at my funeral. Period. You tell your relatives, you tell, you, you because we're going to cover this a lot, funeral planning, because if Solomon says it's better, your day of death is better than your, day, your days of living. And we're going to get into that. But I just think it's a shame for somebody to spend the whole of their, their life. And this, this burial he's talking about, and he explains it um, further in chapter 7, is that people's heart are softened. They realize that that's me in another year, another 10 years, another 20 years. That's in the heart is ready to receive the message from God. So it, as a Christian, it's our duty to make sure that that's one of the number one plans in a person's life is make sure that it's planned out that the gospel is going to be preached when I die. Period. All this other stuff you're going to leave behind. This is your finest hour in your life because it's your last opportunity to take your life and say, God, when I die, I want one person to accept Christ and just have it have that part of your life planned out so that so that you that is your finest day. Some people may never win another personally win. We all win one way or another. But some people may go their entire life and, and never have the opportunity to actually sit down with the Bible and lead somebody to Christ. They can do that in their burial. But for somebody to sit there and, and their whole life is about them piling up, piling up, piling up and then they die, and everybody sits there and says, man, sure I'm glad he's gone. You know, it, man, the world's better off now. It, it's better, you know, when, when, it's, when, he's talk, when Solomon is talking about an, uh, uh, that he has no burial, I mean, nobody shows up, nobody's softened up, nobody, and they, they've worked their entire life and left it all for everybody else, and they're happy that he's gone. Okay, let's go to uh, verse 4. For he cometh in with vanity and departeth in darkness, and his name shall be covered with darkness. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun nor anything, and his ha this hath more rest than the other. It's talking about the, uh, the, the miscarried baby. Better than an untimely dead, uh, well, a man that has no burial. Because if he had miscarried, he'd go to heaven. And, and uh, anyway, I'm not going to get more than that. Okay, verse 6. Yea, though he lived, this is a man, a thousand years twice, lived to two thousand years, and hath seen no good, do not all go to one place? All of the labor of a man, all of it, 
Everything we do is for one thing. It's for his mouth to eat. Everything that we do is so we can have another meal and have nourishment in our bodies to carry on another day. All of our labor, and yet the appetite is not filled. We eat, we go to the bathroom, we're going to be hungry in four hours, five hours. Okay. Let's go to chapter 7, and then we'll get back into this funeral part of it. A good name is better than precious ointment. That means expensive ointment. That means expensive cologne. That means uh, like the alabaster box. Something that is highly valued. Your testimony means is more precious in the sight of the saints than your money, than your goods, than your than anything else is a good name because a good name is going to attract people. They'll, they'll come. They'll, you, you, can, you can share a testimony with them and they'll, and they'll listen to what you have to say. Not because we'll get them further into that too. So don't be over much wickedness. We'll, I'm, I'm thinking way ahead here of where I want to go. <laughs> it is better, verse, uh, first, let's go back to that chapter, verse one of chapter seven. A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than one's birth. When it's, when it's time to die, that's your real finest hour if you're redeemed, if you're a Christian. Your labor's over. You've done all you can do. All of your work's behind. Now, let's win one more. Let's, let, let's win one more. Preacher, when I die, I want you to preach hard as you've ever preached in your life. Because there's going to be somebody that's going to be this friend of mine that's coming that's going to be lost. Somebody that thinks they're saved and they're lost. Present it to them. They can, they've got to make the choice, but let them hear it. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. This is verse 2. For that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. This is what Solomon was talking about earlier in chapter 6. If a man does not have a burial, does not have his funeral plan, does not have things planned, you can have family members that will come in and they'll take over and say, we don't want no part of that. We don't want this done. We don't want it done this way. All we want to do is is eat cupcakes and go home. No, we don't want no funeral. We want a graveside service. Just say a few words. And, and I know this happens because my wife's cousin, my age, I worked with him for years. I knew him before I knew my wife. Out of the clear blue, went up, got up and went to the bathroom. This has been two months ago. And said, I need some help. And he dropped dead. Heart attack. 63, 64 years old. And his wife, who they were married, they, they'd been, they had been divorced for probably 12 years, but she stepped right in and said, we were married 40 years before we, before he, uh, died. So I'm taking charge of this funeral. She says, I don't want no family here. I don't want nothing here. All I want is his sister and his only brother left. And all we want to do is, is I'm going to have him cremated. We're going to throw his ashes up somewhere. And we don't want no cards, no flowers, no nothing. Now I know Joe. Joe did not want that. But Joe didn't, was not specific about it. Joe didn't say, Yufa, this is my wife's first, other first cousin. When I die, this is what I want. 
I want a church funeral. I want this and I want that. It was nothing. He, he left unexpectedly just like that and it was too late. His wife took in. We couldn't even go and, and sign a book. We couldn't go. Nobody in the family could even come and, and, and visit each other and, and mourn. It was over. Threw the ashes up in the river. That's ridiculous. That is what's, that's, if, if a man works his entire life and has no burial, it's better off for him to, to have an untimely birth. Solomon's talking about. I just, I just wish that people would understand how important the time of death is. It's critical. It's your finest hour, not your worst hour. It's, we, as Christians, we don't want it. We don't say, Lord, take me today. But if he did, I'm ready. It should be a joyous. It should not be, oh, I'm scared to death to die. No, it's, it should be a wonderful time because it's, it's another opportunity where somebody, you can bring somebody with you when it's their time to check out. Okay, verse 3. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance of the heart, the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. But the heart of fools is in the house of myrrh, and that's laughter. It is, and uh, let me go. I'm gonna skip back, skip down. I'm off of the funeral now. I just wanted to. That's that. That's that's where we are in the lesson, and so. Uh, I wanted to get cover that part of it. Verse 8, we're going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going through Ecclesiastes verse by verse. Some of it I can explain more than others. And you'll see, you'll see what I mean. There's two of them. There's parts of, parts of chapter 7 that's, that was, that's hard for me to, to explain the way I understand it. Be not hasty in thy spirit. This is, uh, well, let's go to verse 8. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning. Thereof, and the patient of spirit, is better than the proud of spirit. What that is, when you're facing a storm, it's tough going through it. But when it's over, and you can look back and say, Lord, you brought me through another one. Thank you. So it's better when it's over. It's always better when nobody likes storms. Nobody likes trouble. Nobody likes conflict. Nobody likes this trouble stuff that we go through in this life. But when, when the Lord brings us through another one, another battle, we can look back and say he did it again and it gives us stronger faith to face the next battle that we go through because we know what he's done. We know what he can do. We know where he's brought us. Okay. Verse 10. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these for thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. Okay. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, for by it there is profit to them that see the sun. What he's talking about is if you, if you have a little bit left left up, you don't leave it. You don't leave it to somebody that'll squander it, somebody that don't deserve it. You, what, what that's saying is is somebody that's wise and can handle it, they can do good with it. For somebody that that that, that is going to squander it, like. I know people that have been left fortunes and it's gone in a year. 
Solomon is trying to teach us in his word how quick and fast life can leave us. Plan. Wisdom is a defense and money is a defense, but excellency and knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that have it. Consider the work of God, for who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider. God has also set one over against the other in the end that man should find nothing after him. Consider what? Consider this, that God has allowed this to happen in your life. This is if you're living right, if you're living good, that God has allowed it to happen. Just consider that, that he has made everything beautiful in his time. Okay. All these things have I seen in the days of my vanity, and vanity is anything apart from redemption, that, that everything that we have in our life is gone when we die. It means absolutely nothing. It's emptiness outside of the redemption. There is a just man that perisheth in his righteousness and there's a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. And here's where I'm going to cover quite a bit here in, uh, in the meaning of these next couple of verses. Be not righteous over much. Don't be a know-it-all. Don't be so overly righteous that people, you make people sick. Don't brown people with a Bible and, and try to show how much we know as people and, and we're, people will sit back and say, well, he thinks he's better than anybody else. That's, you know, and that's, this is what, this is what these next couple of verses are about is people that are not grounded in this word. Oh, they can't stand somebody who lives a good life, who lives a clean life, who lives a pure life. They, you seem to them like a self-righteous, a person who, who thinks he's better than everybody else. So it's best to let our walk be louder than our talk. Because let me tell you, people... Let me see how, how can I say this. People can see what you do a whole lot more than they can hear what you say. What you, what you do speaks so much louder than what you say. How are you when trouble hits? How are you when things happen? How are you, do, do, do you always got all this advice to give somebody and then when it hits you, you fall apart? Be not righteous over much, neither make thyself overwise. Why shouldest thou destroy yourself? That's talking about your public testimony again, talking about your good, good name is better than a precious ointment. Don't always seem to have all the answers for everybody. Just constantly giving advice. Now, if somebody asks you for it, yeah, that's different than finger pointing. You ought not do that. You know, the Bible says, you know, yeah, hey, hey you're, you know, that ain't what the Bible says. That ain't what the Bible says. That ain't what, you know, lost people do not want to hear that. And you, 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 you make people upset. You make people mad. When they think that you're, you're too righteous. Your walk says more than what we can tell them unless they ask. Be not over much wickedness. 
Be not over much wicked. This is verse 17. Neither should thou be foolish. Why should thou die before thy time? That means don't get involved in ungodliness. That goes back to the walk. You don't have to point somebody else out that's living ungodly. You just don't have nothing to do with it. You don't have to sit there and call them out and tell them. They know what's wrong. Some people don't know what's wrong. We know what's wrong. We just don't be involved in certain, certain ungodly behaviors in our life. We just stay away from it. And by staying away from it, we don't have to call people out on it. Because once we get involved, and let me tell you, here's, I guess the best, best way to say it, like, if I stay home and mind my own business, I'm safe. I say, hey, I'm going to go and put the move on Brian. I'm going to go and put the move on your wife. I'm going to get my head blown off. See? I did that. That's, that's just the way it is. <laughs> the Bible says, stay away from the evil. Stay away from the... You, you, can, you can die way before your time if you step up there and do something stupid. And that's just what he did. This is, be not much over wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why should you die before your time? It ain't... I mean, we all got an appointed time. That's, this is not going against what God says, but you can you can certainly do things in your life to to bring death on faster than if you had stayed at home or mind our own business. It is good that thou should take hold of this. Yea, also thou should withdraw not thy hand, for he that feareth God cometh forth of them all. Now let's look at uh, Psalms real quick. 34. Talking about the fear of God. It's good that thou should take hold of this from withdrawing out thy hand, for he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. Now, there are several things that talk about the fear of God. This is just one of them. What is the fear of God? Verse 7 of chapter 34. Well, let's go to verse 4 of chapter 34. I sought the Lord and he heard me. He delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and they were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Here comes back to the angels. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is a man that trusted in him. Okay, well, here, here in this next couple of verses, it explains what the fear of God is. It goes back to our tongue. Let's go to verse 11. Come ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Didn't say all days were good. Let me tell you something. If you got up this morning and breathing and had strength to get here to this church right here, you're seeing a good day. It's a good day. There's a whole lot of people laying up in a hospital somewhere that ain't seeing no good days. That could be me tomorrow. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Guile is deceit. Guile is gossip. Guile is, is, is spreading rumors. Guile is, is ungodliness. That's the fear of the that's that's the fear of God. 
Because when you, the Bible says in James, if you can control your mouth, you control your body. If you control your body, it's like, like the bits in a horse's mouth. The God's got to in control. He's going to, the good man's steps are ordered by the Lord. And we control our mouth, we control all that. Instead of looking for fault, we look for praise. Instead of looking for things that are wrong, look for things that are right. And let good things come out of our mouth. The eyes of the Lord are open unto the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off remembrance of them the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all of their troubles. Doesn't say when. It's all good in his time. People, I'll get, get to another point here in a minute, in a second. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Check this out. Well, let's go to verse 18. I'm sorry. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as a contrite spirit. Well, then he's looking at God and said, Lord, it's me. I'm so sorry I fell. Not, man, Lord, you need to deal with him. Lord, you need to deal with her. Contrite is, oh God, it's me. Many are the afflictions, this is verse 19, of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. If all rep, if happens to be death, he's delivering. It's, it, it's all good and beautiful in his time. Okay. I had, this happened to me, I was, on, I was, I was teaching on uh, tithing. Let's get back to tithing for a second. And how, and how the Lord says that, uh, that if you tithe, he's going to put a hedge of protection in you and the destroyer will not destroy the fruit of your ground. I'm not going to get to, the, to those scriptures here. But it says the hedge of protection is around the person that tithes and with his, not just his money, but his life. And I brought a lesson on that and there was a lady, she was, I'll never forget it. She came up to me on a Wednesday night. Brother Nanny, I want to tell you, you're teaching heresy. I said, whoa. I said, I am. She said, let me tell you something. After you taught Sunday morning on tithing, she said, I tithed first time, first time. And I got home and had two flat tires. Oh, you did. I'm sorry to hear that. How do you deal with that? I mean, what do you say? I say, well, they don't get it. She don't go here anymore now anyway, but I mean, you, if a person's tithe and the life is up and down like this, tithe when they're good, don't tithe when it's bad, and their life is like this with their Bible reading and their tithe, this is how their spiritual life and their home life and their conditions in their life and their, their life is going to follow it. Just like that. And they will never understand a consistent Christian life. It's like a plane taking off. You get saved. You start studying. You start learning. You start growing. The Lord knows our heart. And the plane takes off 
and then it levels out and planes out. And then you understand, we turn it loose, turn it over to God, and it's just coasting. Not that life is a coast, but it's easier to handle trouble with God in my pocket, with God holding my hand, with God guiding, with God taking me every step of the way, knowing whatever happens, it doesn't matter. He's got it. He's allowed it. I'm just trusting. Just trust. Just turn it loose. That's the guy. That's the, that's the, that's the glide. That's the, the ease. Does it, is it hard? Yes. Never easy living a Christian life. Okay, that was the... Whew. Now I'm going to have to close here in a second. I'm going to go back to Ecclesiastes real quick because I want to leave on a different part. I'll tell you what, this has been real eye-opening to me. This ex- All right, here we go. Let me see where I'm at. I'm going to skip over so I can finish up on this because I'm going to explain this. Let's go to, uh, I'm going to explain this the next time much better than I can explain it now. Okay, verse 20 of chapter 7, and I'm going to skip down to something else that's going to give, leave us with a very thought-provoking thing to think on this week. There is not a just man, this is verse 20 of chapter 7, there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. That includes me. That includes you. That includes every single person. And studying down here, let's go jump down to verse 26, and this is where I'm going to finish up because this is this is one of the one of the hardest things for me to really understand because there's four different context, contexts that I pulled from it. It could have several different meanings, but I dug deep into it, and this is. It's, to me, I'm, I'm studying and I'm going to bring a better answer next time. I, pro- I promise you. I find, verse 26, I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets and her hands is bands who pleases, who please, whoso pleases God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken from her. Behold, here's, here's the verse. Behold, I have found, saith the preacher, counting one by one to find out the account. If you study that real close, he started at Adam and went through the genealogy all the way up to himself and counted one by one by one. I can can show you this in the scripture the next time. But I have found counting one by one to find out the account which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not. One man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among all those I have not found. See, David prophesied about Jesus. One, one, one thing about this, he said, David said, there's one man. I haven't met him. I haven't found him, but he's coming. And it's more about what he did that's been prophesied. But from Eve, there's not been a woman. It's real thought-provoking here. Look at here. Verse 27. But behold, this I have found, said the preacher, counting one by one, to find out the account, yet which, my, which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not. One man among a thousand I have found, 
But a woman among all those I have not found. Lo, this, is, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. We did it to ourselves. 90% of our problems are self-inflicted. 90. Some are, some are from others. Some are, are outside that we have nothing, but, but the preacher preaches on us all the time. Don't self-manufacture your trouble. And it boils down to what comes out of our mouth. And uh, I'm going to have to close here in just a second to, before I develop that. But that's, that's an interesting text we'll get into next time is, is the account that he followed. He went back in time. He said, okay, let me find one man that's worthy. One man that's worthy. There's only one. And he used the thousand, but he's talking about mankind. One man out of a thousand, one man is worthy. Worthy is the lamb. And then he goes back to some of his teachings when his father taught him that he prophesied as how Jesus would come and he would stay on the cross. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is Psalms 22 if you want to read it. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he starts talking about Jesus being crucified on the cross. And that's the one man out of mankind that was worthy. You listen to Deacon Danny Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.